This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week here on the bridge of the NX-01, who has brought some lovely Earl Grey tea for us to enjoy during the show, is Daniel Prue. Daniel, welcome. Hey, Chris. Uh, uh, thanks for having me. I've been here before, so I won't make the whole, oh, this bridge <laughs> is so tiny joke, you know, that we, lo- that we love to hear. But uh, it's, I'm glad to be back uh, in, the, in the 22nd century. Great to have you here. Now, I have to say with the topic that we're going to talk about today, I'm a little nervous about drinking this tea that you brought. You haven't spiked this with anything, have you? Um, no, uh, no. I mean, it's it's only to prevent you from becoming a space zombie. That's it. So okay. well, just, just enjoy it and, and have fun. Well, I think that's an additive that you need in pretty much every drink on the NX-01, especially if you're going to be in the Delphic Expanse. Yeah, that would make sense. I guess if there was a, some sort of vaccine for space zombiness, everybody should probably have already taken it at that point, you would think. Yeah, you got to get your shots before you go into the Expanse, for sure. <laughs> well, today we're not going to talk about the Delphic Expanse, per se, or the Zindi Arc, but we are going to talk about something that happened during the third season. And this is Topol's drug addiction. Very controversial thing on Enterprise, uh, not only because of T'Pol being a Vulcan and dealing with emotions, but also just the idea that the writers would take one of our main characters, in fact, the first officer of the ship, and make them addicted to drugs, something that's just absolutely an analogy for being addicted to something like crack cocaine. Yeah, absolutely. This is one of those times where I think, uh, it's one of those arcs, I really think, you could really only do on Enterprise, right? Because at the mm-hmm. at every series past this point, not that she's unevolved or, or whatever, but we've quote unquote moved past that. But what's nice about Enterprise, it's got that rawness, it's got that newness. It's like we ha- we haven't developed these characters yet, these species, and we can play around with them a little bit more maybe than on the more established shows. It wouldn't have made mm-hmm. sense, right, if Tuvok was addicted to drugs as much. Yeah, not so much, you know, unless maybe Neelix found some way to process crystallized Leola root into a narcotic and somehow Tuvok got hooked on it. I don't know. Tuvok is not even willing to, you know, know, have sex with a hologram of his wife. I don't know. I I think he would just (laughs) not be okay with anything crystallized at any point. Yeah, you're right. I don't think he would have been into this. Uh, But yeah, you're right. It's this is a point on the timeline Especially with the way the Vulcans are portrayed overall in Enterprise, where you can explore issues that wouldn't fit into the 24th century 
timeline. With T'Pol, we've. I like the way that they set this up. If you go all the way back to the fact that she was this very stuffy Vulcan at the beginning, you know, she was pretty arrogant and broken bow when she spoke to Archer, and she didn't want to be on the ship. She's gotten accustomed to being around humans, and now she's dealing with something in the expanse that it's difficult for her to come to terms with the Vulcans they warned everyone going into the expanse that we've sent ships in there before they never came back and then we get that great episode impulse where we actually find the zombie Vulcans and that really is the genesis of this addiction for her yeah and I mean uh, you know I know you have done an impulse episode here on warp five before but what a great episode man I was I was watching five or six episodes to get prepared for this for this show and you know, as silly uh, as a concept as zombie Vulcans sound, they pull it off remarkably well. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, they, like you said, they have this genesis for the storyline that continues for the rest of the whole season. And it makes it, you know, I'm I'm kind of hit or miss with T'Pol. I, I like her as a character. Sometimes I feel like sometimes the portrayal is is a bit rough, but you know, I'm glad they did this. This 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 does make a lot of things interesting. It, it presents some unique dramatic opportunities that we might not have gotten otherwise. So, uh, you know, a great episode with with great lasting impact, at least on that season and on the character as a whole. Well, let me ask you. You mentioned that the portrayal is a little bit rough for you sometimes. Within the context of this discussion today, where we're talking about her drug addiction, how do you feel about Jolene Blaylock's portrayal of a Vulcan dealing with? drug addiction and emotions and being kind of out of control from the point where she becomes addicted with the trillium forward. Is that uneven for you as well? Actually, I would say that's probably, you know, just, just hearing the question now, probably one of the the stronger points Mm. of her acting in the series. And maybe it's the fact that she, maybe she struggles with like this flat kind of Vulcan, you know, the typical kind of Vulcan acting that we get. And maybe she excels in doing this kind of, Hey, I actually have Mm. real emotions. I'm a real person and can, you know, experience these withdrawal symptoms or whatever. Um, but there are moments like I'm looking at her and I and I feel pity for her. I feel I'm like, oh my goodness, this, this poor woman is going through this this terrible ordeal. So I guess, yeah, in the context of of this story arc, I think I think she does pretty well. Yeah, I agree. That's I think you're right. Maybe that when it comes to the straight Vulcan, maybe it's. I think the problem is that we became so accustomed to Tuvok on Voyager that the next Vulcan that we see is T'Pol because Jolene Blaylock was a big Star Trek fan and a fan of Spock growing up. So she was very familiar with Vulcans and maybe her portrayal, I have to go back and watch and do a comparison to know if, if this statement is really true or not. What I do know is that with Leonard Nimoy's portrayal of Spock on the original series, when I watch those early episodes, especially, and really all of the original series, Nimoy portrays Spock in a way that's a bit different than how fans normally remember Spock because people remember the movie Spock a bit more, I think. And so maybe her portrayal of of T'Pol is a little bit more in line with how Spock was early on, perhaps, than Tuvok because Tuvok was so just very by-the-book, stuffy, serious Vulcan. So there is a quite a contrast between what we had become accustomed to. Yeah, and exactly along those lines, like you mentioned, 
especially in Broken Bow and very, very early on, T'Pol was that. Maybe she was trying to trying to ape or mimic or be. Maybe they were telling her to, for all I know. Mm. Be like Tuvok, be like Tuvok. Because we got seven seasons of Tuvok and I like and it Tuvok. wasn't coming across quite the same. Right, right, right. right. And yeah. I like Tuvok as a character, but um, in I think they gave T'Pol more interesting things to do in the four years of Enterprise than they ever did with Tuvok. I feel like Tuvok yeah. was kind of a wasted resource. He could have been a lot more than he was. And so maybe, you're right, maybe like in the beginning, she she just couldn't pull off that stuffy Tuvok-esque Vulcan, these, these very 24th century Vulcans. I... I think that Tim Russ pulls that off really well, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That very serious character. Whereas when Jolene tries to pull that off, I think that maybe it comes across as being a little bit, what's the word, pissy, maybe? <laughs> it's the attitude. And because mm-hmm. the Vulcans are written that way in Enterprise in the first place, uh, it's arrogant, right? It comes across where I, sometimes I feel arrogance from Tuvok, but it doesn't get me in the same way as the Enterprise Vulcans do because I know that that's what the Vulcans are supposed to be in the 24th century. But when once she's addicted to Trellium here, I, I think back to episodes like Damage where she's really dealing with what's happening on the ship and she's having to hold things together and the ship is just falling apart around her. And then when... Archer asks her, is everything okay? You know, what's wrong? You can tell the turmoil that's going on inside her. And I think that Jolene Blaylock plays that Vulcan better than she plays the straight Vulcan. Yeah, I absolutely agree, actually. You know, and and I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but her moments with with Trip really, really highlight that for me. Like, it really shows mm-hmm. that... Um, she feels most comfortable with with especially Archer and Trip, but but Trip especially, and you can see that she she's trying to deal with with sensations that she she couldn't she couldn't even imagine handling before. It was funny when I was watching. I can't remember exactly which scene it was, but in one of the episodes, she was talking about how she wasn't used to these emotions and handling mm-hmm. these emotions, and I, and I, of course that phrase brought me back to generations i was, was going to say data yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? and um you know she's it's it's far more um in, in a character i think that she was in the third season here data was we had seven seasons and we ran on our movie but i i felt it more here i felt it more like she's actually struggling struggling to hold these emotions in right um much much more it was much more difficult for her than for data um of course it's two totally different circumstances but you're right like when she's actually playing this vulnerable i can't handle myself i'm falling off of of scaffoldings trying to get to this substance that can help me control myself i bought it i I did i never had a moment of like nah i don't see it but i got it Uh uh-huh yeah i agree with that so they're trying to mess the pole up through the series and first she has Pinar, she contracts Pinar syndrome. Then they give her drug addiction. Now, I know you want to talk a little bit about the connection of those two or lack thereof, but before that, just the idea as we're talking about here, how she's dealing with emotions, do, do you feel it's necessary? Was the controversial act of writing this character into drug addiction necessary for the evolution of Vulcans? to get them from where they are in Enterprise to where we knew them? Like, 
they're they're struggling. We know Vulcans have emotions. This has been said in the future part of the Star Trek timeline, but they suppress them, and the emotions are even stronger than human emotions, but we just really never see that. And they try to explore that on Enterprise. So do you feel like having her become addicted to drugs as a mechanism for her to lose control, where she has no choice but to let some of these emotions out and let us see them, was that necessary? Or is there some other way they could have done that? Uh, You know, it's difficult for me to separate. Like, I don't think it was necessary for them to do it for Vulcans. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was necessary for them to do it for her character. Mm. I think it was important and it did good things and it showed... Like we've been talking about the depth of acting that that Julian Blaylock can perform. Now, of course, as a viewer or as a writer, you're going to see her as kind of a symbol for Vulcans. But to me, it's a much more personal journey. And I'm much more interested in, especially if we're talking about, if we wanted to bring this factor into it of the Pinar syndrome versus the Trellium addiction. I think the Trellium addiction is much more personal of a journey than the Pinar syndrome was. The Pinar syndrome was about Vulcan culture. The Trillium D was about how she personally is handling this and how this changes mm-hmm. her as a person. So, uh, you know, I guess you you could say that, sh- that sure, it might be representative of Vulcans, but I don't see it that way. I think it is more of a character-specific arc than about the Vulcans. So, Pinar Syndrome would be about showing Vulcans... Uh, the divisions within the society and how these Vulcans in the 22nd century are trying to deal with emotions. You've got Vulcans who want to explore emotion. Now, T'Pol doesn't want to explore emotion originally. She's forced to primarily by the Trillium addiction. You also mentioned to me, as we were talking before the show, that you were you were hoping there would be some connection between those two, but we didn't really get that. Well, you know, I mean, I mean... If you're looking at the Pinar syndrome as an allegory of the AIDS epidemic, which is kind of what which is what it was, what it, it was, was HIV Awareness Month, right? When right. they did that show, um, yeah. and you, I don't know, you you would think that there's a natural connection, you know, that you could explore something there, like mm-hmm. maybe it caused her to become whatever a Vulcan depressed or whatever. I don't know, maybe, you know, or maybe there was a reason. I mean, I understand like why impulse forced her to do what she did, which makes sense, and that's okay. But if you already have this built-in kind of drive for the character, this built-in motivation for something to happen, and she's already dealing with things she doesn't know how to deal with, um, if you're going to make a drug kind of story, why not just make make it an out-and-out drug story? I mean, I, I, maybe they didn't even have to do it as the motivation, but they at least could have, I think, connected those dots at some point and said, mm-hmm. this has affected her in the past. This is affecting her now. You know, obviously... That's that's a timeline that those things might have affected one another. Mm-hmm. Like the the internal sort of turmoil of the fact that she knows that she's now contracted this disease somehow makes her, uh, you know, seek out other, yeah, exploring sure. the emotions or seek out some other like method of comfort or whatever, some way to deal with everything, which, which I mean, it's sort of what she does anyway, except it's just not connected to the Pinar syndrome. Right, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm, I was just surprised when I was, because I tried to find all of the episodes that had anything to do with this, with this addiction, and like it's just not even brought up. It's, it's never been. A, it was yeah. never even a consideration. I, even a throwaway line or something, just to be like, oh, 
hey, you had this disease and now you're addicted to the substance. Like, just connect them in some way. Does it make you wonder if Enterprise had gone three more seasons, what they would have done to to Paul? We were kind of joking that it's almost like the torture O'Brien gag on DS9 where the writers would just keep torturing O'Brien. Now, this isn't exactly torturing to Paul, but it is like they're trying to mess her up. And so they, they give her Pinar syndrome, then they make her addicted to drugs. And what would come next? What what would they do to her? Well, we already know. had what came next, right? She she got pregnant and then lost the baby. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Okay, good point. Yeah. So yes. that, that's another traumatic experience for her. So then maybe something else would have come after that. Yeah. She True. she lost she lost trip, but I know we're not yeah. supposed to talk about that. Episode. Of course, we shouldn't say she got pregnant because they they basically they created that to be. Well, right, right, she right, wasn't right. carrying the baby around, right. but yeah, you're right. You're but right. the emotional impact was the same, right? I mean, she finds out she has an offspring, and then she, the baby dies. So, so maybe they were like trying to turn her into like a pseudo O'Brien. Uh, you know, Maybe. or pseudo Harry Kim or something. Because who knows what, you, you know, those those are three seasons right in a row. Season two is Panar, season three is uh, Terellium, and season four is mm-hmm. is the baby. I, I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know what else they could have done. Maybe maybe she would have been like Colonel Ty on, on uh, Battlestar and lost an eye or something. Like, oh. uh, who, who who knows? I don't know. So you could see T'Pol on the bridge with an eye patch. <laughs> I, think would, <laughs> I think it would be pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> so... What do you also make of the fact that the Enterprise gets into the Expanse and there are all these bizarre anomalies and they learn that by aligning the ship with Trellium D, they can cushion themselves and protect themselves from these anomalies, but they find out that it is a neurotoxin for Vulcans. And so they can't protect themselves to the extent that they would otherwise be able to because it actually is damaging to T'Pol. While at the same time, T'Pol is going behind the scenes and actually refining Trellium into a drug using basically a... uh, I don't know that much about how you would process drugs, but I know visually this this apparatus that she has in her quarters looks... it's, It's straight drug paraphernalia that she's crystallizing this even to where it liquefies it or makes it into the powder or whatever and it goes right into that tube that she then pulls out and she I guess it's a liquid because she injects herself with it. Yeah, there was a line when Dr. Flox first found out that she had been you know come become addicted to the substance and he was and and I can't remember if he said it or she said it but basically it came out that she had been ingesting it first and I'm like that's a rock like, did you did you start out by eating the rock, or I don't? Well, understand. you know, she was a fan of pop rocks, and she <laughs> thought, well, what what's the difference? Like, this is an actual rock to pull. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's not it, candy coated sugar. Yeah, it's you know, of course, all of the the earth based drugs that we know of are, are are chemical or which I guess that's all rock is is some sort of chemical. But you know what I mean, chemical mm-hmm. or plant based or something like that. Yeah. But anyways. Um, I totally bought that she could come up with a solution to that problem. Like she could find a way to refine it and then inject it. And yeah, and um, it was it's it's interesting um, because the one thing I was a little confused about in Impulse, Doctor Flox was like does inject it first. I think I'm pretty sure he was the one that first injected it into her. But then that's it. I guess maybe he thinks it just cured her of it, mm. and then she just gets addicted to the feeling and. I was surprised that, and of course it's just for the plot, but I was surprised that he didn't, was not aware or had never like scanned her or anything and like, oh my goodness, you're, you know, half of your body is filled with this strange mineral that, you know. 
You would think that, although we see throughout Star Trek officers resisting their checkups, especially Picard, right? I don't have a checkup. But you would think that in actuality on the ship, officers would have to go through routine checks, you know, I mean, at least once a month, right? I would think just to make sure everything is okay, especially when in, in this time period, it's just involving him scanning you. Yeah. Like waving something over you. So you would think that he would have had some sort of indication. Yeah. This device that she uses to process the trillium, this clearly isn't something that starships carry around (laughs) standard issue. So she must have built this thing herself somehow. Trip, her boyfriend, is the engineer. He didn't know anything about it. I picture like she's got it hidden behind the candles in her quarters. Like Trip comes and <laughs> who's there? Hey, it's me. It's Trip. Uh, coming. Hold on just a second. You know, she shoves it behind the candles so that he can't see it. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that is silly. But I feel like um, maybe that is that probably has a practical purpose, I would think. I don't know. Like maybe if they're mining for dilithium I, I, or something. Okay. So it's just... It's just something like that. It's not yeah. something she built her. It just looked so much like drug paraphernalia. Yeah, it did. It, it definitely does. It's just, yeah, there's glass pieces on it. And yeah, you're right. It does. Uh, I was actually, I, you know, impressed with the little effect. Like it looks like there's, a, it transports the rock out and then changes mm-hmm. it into a liquid and then transports mm-hmm. it back in. And so then, I was psh- like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that yeah. like that looks like something from the future, at least, you know, it wasn't like, some of the things that we get in Star Trek occasionally, which are like, okay, you roll your eyes, X. Like, that's not how it's going to work in the future. <laughs> right. Well, I just mentioned Trip coming to her quarters and then she hides her gadget behind her candles. This whole relationship with Trip and T'Pol, do you think that this relationship is, I don't want to say a direct result, but her acting on it, is that a result of the trillium addiction? And not the drug itself so much, but the drug makes her more uninhibited and she's willing to explore things that she otherwise wouldn't. Is there a direct correlation for you between the trillium addiction and the relationship with Trip? Uh, to me, to me, there is because in the episode, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode, which one it was, but where they, um, they sleep together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very clear that she's being a very emotional uh, because she's very jealous of this other character who Trip has been spending time with. And oh, the Mako girl. Yeah, yeah, the Mako girl. And I think, yeah. And then it, it, what cemented it for me was in the episode. Is it? E, it's, I guess it's E squared, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, E squared. When they encountered their descendants. Yeah. Yeah, and then when old to Paul tells young to Paul, like he, you know, he can be what you release your emotions on. He can be how you express yourself. And, and I, she's like, I don't know if I would have been with him if it wasn't for the expanse or whatever, but I can't imagine my life without him. I think, I think, you know, yeah, I I definitely think it's the fact that, uh, she has now experienced these emotions and she doesn't know how to control them. And trip is such an easygoing kind of emotional guy. Like he can totally help her with that situation that she's, that she's in. And he can put her mind at ease about these kinds of things because he can just, you know, you know how Trip is like, let's, you know, let's have some catfish and like just hang out. You know <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> have some uh, Georgia peaches. Yeah, There's exactly. that episode where she's just eating Georgia peaches. Like, how many can you eat before you just get tired of it? You know, you got to move. <laughs> <laughs> so I, do, I actually do. I, 
you know, in an interesting way, I, I don't know if the writers planned this or not, but I do think that it is a direct result of this addiction that she finds. I don't think season one to Paul or even probably season two to Paul probably would have ever. They might have no. hinted at it sometimes because that's what they do. They play with the characters, but it makes way more sense in light of this addiction in light of this loosening up of emotions that she would end up with Trip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, season one to Paul, no. Season two to Paul, I think, yeah, she can start to come around to something like this, but I still think she wouldn't act on it because she, at that point, is still very much, I'm the Vulcan, you know, I'm going to respect, uh, I'm going to keep my emotions suppressed, I'm going to, like, you know, she won't even believe for a long time that time travel is possible <laughs> because she's just determined. It's like all this evidence is slapping her in the face, but no, the Vulcan Science Council says it's not possible. So, and she's so disciplined too. Like I'm gonna, I'm going to cut a breadstick in half, right? <laughs> like yeah. just pick it up and eat it already. I think that Trellium addicted to Paul would be happy to just grab a handful of breadsticks and eat those. With her hands. <laughs> she, uh, she definitely would. Because um, <laughs> you get the munchies. I mean, Trillium D, it gives you the munchies. <laughs> Is that true? I don't know if that's true or not. Um, <laughs> but one of the things, too, I thought that was was very wise of the writers was in E squared when old T'Pol is talking to young T'Pol. She's, you know, in a couple of the episodes prior, like when she's talking to Dr. Flock, she's like, I don't know if I can handle these emotions uh, you know, I don't know. And he's like, look, they may never go away. You may now mm-hmm. have to deal with this as part of your life forever. And then that's only confirmed. And I think this is a really smart move by the writers when they were like, old to Paul was like, no, they're, they don't leave you. You just, you got to deal with them. Like you're, you're going to have to learn to live with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, you know, especially in, and in some Star Trek, we get these, these kinds of things that happen you know, I'll, I'll mention TNG. You know, we get that great episode family after Best of Both Worlds and then First Contact. But you would think that that kind of a traumatic experience would have lasting effects. Well, this fundamentally changes the character of T'Pol. And I wish, you know, of course, how many we probably you probably mentioned this on Warp 5 every week. We wish there were seven seasons. Could have seen where they had went. <laughs> That's our know. mantra. Uh, it's, it's in the tagline of the show, I think. <laughs> so who knows? Like, who knows? She could have been more of a human character than Spock was on the original series or whatever yeah. by the end, by season seven. You know, who knows? Well, I think you see that in the final, almost the final scene of that episode, <laughs> whose name shall not be spoken. These are the voyages. Where... And I mentioned this before, where she's straightening Archer's tie. It's just like she's come so far from where yeah. she started. So you can kind of see that. And you mentioned the scene where Flox tells her that these emotions may never go away. And we talked about how Jolene Blaylock portrays this to Paul and this Vulcan that's dealing with emotions. And just sort of the unspoken reaction to that news, I think, highlights how she's much more in her skin with this T'Pol character than with the season one T'Pol character. Yeah, you know, I agree. And another thing, too, that that is mentioned in this arc was the first mention. This is, again, in E-squared. And I mentioned that because that's, like, kind of the final nail in the coffin, I think, for most mostly for the Trillium D mm-hmm. arc. And, uh, again, when they find out that, hey, Trip and T'Pol have a, a child... And and she's like flabbergasted by this news. Vulcans are not supposed to be able to have children with humans. And 
And but I just I feel like if if we, you know, like I said, season six or something, she gets pregnant or whatever. Like it would have been a really interesting to Paul. I think mm-hmm. Jolene, in, in a lot of the same ways that like someone like uh, Troy, kind of blossomed much much later and and to a much better character too late into this sh- series. Uh, I think to Paul could have really been something special. Maybe had a yeah. rocky start, like, but you know, at the end of that series, she she could have. I think she could have played a much more emotional Vulcan that that we're used to seeing. Well, and of course, you know, from Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight, that T'Pol was going to be half Romulan. That was something that would be revealed in the fifth season. And that it would have been interesting there in that it would have, I think, given them a little bit more freedom to continue to develop her character in the way that they were without upsetting canon and upsetting fans too much by saying that, okay, well, one of the reasons that she's like she is is because she's half Romulan. Yeah, and I actually, I think that that has a lot of dramatic potential, and I do wish we got to see that. Uh, on the other hand, just just talking about it now does kind of feel like a little bit of a cop-out. Like, it's like, oh, no, don't worry, we'll still preserve the purity of your Vulcans. So That's like, why sh- it's from the magic bag of hindsight, <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, you know. And and that would have made Tuvok our only our only Vulcan character that we ever got. That we got to see all the time who was yeah. purely, you know. I mean, we have others like Solar, who I like to mention at every opportunity. I'm with but you. <laughs> everyone does, right? <laughs> but you don't um, spend that much time with her. And so, yeah, Tuvok is the pure Vulcan that you get to spend time with. Do We mentioned E2 or E squared, however you want to say it, over and over here. The the fact that we do get to see the older T'Pol talking to her younger self after she's been through this drug addiction is interesting and I think could have been explored even more because it does show that eventually she does get over this and she does eventually learn how to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and of course, you know, like all good characters, that's what you want to see. You want to see that mm-hmm. process of, hey, Something has fundamentally changed the character, the, the being, the essence of this character. Let's see how they can grow and what they can learn about themselves and the people around them. And, and uh, you know, yeah, you know, what else can I say, man? It's, 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 this is another a perfect example of why we needed, why we needed three more seasons of, of Enterprise. Yeah. Because I didn't get the feeling that she was over this in the, no. the fourth season. I mean, the the style of the storytelling changed. It became so much more of a TOS prequel at that point. But I, you know, she has to deal with her mother being a Sirenite. She has to deal with her marriage and the disillusion of that. And uh, she has to deal with the evolution of her relationship with Trip. We see a lot of that towards the end when Trip goes over to the Columbia and sort of the back and forth that they have going on. And I, I feel that, again, keeping it with the theme of the Trillium D addiction today, I still feel like all of that is a result of the Trillium D addiction. Like, even though they don't keep talking about the Trillium, it just, like you said, it fundamentally changed her character. And we see that manifest itself in many other aspects of her life aboard the ship through the end. And it never really gets any resolution for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a you know, it's a it's a watershed moment for the character. Um, it's 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 a super important thing that happens to them that changes everything going forward. Like, 
I, you know, I'm not a writer. I can't imagine doing these kinds of things, but like, that's what I imagine like writers like strive for, like this kind of thing that like now you bring freshness to it. Like that's kind of what the idea of data with the emotion chip and generations was supposed to be. Like we mentioned before, didn't work so well there, but it could have paid off really well here. But with data, they had this great option that when they decided, you know what, we set this up, but for this story, it really is a problem. (laughs) So just pop your neck sideways and turn it off for this story. You know, to Paul, you can't do that when you're addicted to drugs, right? You can't just say, I'm not going to do this this week because it doesn't work well for what I have going on in my life. You know, you have to keep dealing with it. Yeah, and and just just as an aside, again mentioning e, e squared, which I didn't realize I like this episode so much until I watched <laughs> it today. Um, but um, the the son, the the guy who plays the commander of of the same Enterprise in the, in the uh-huh. past, the future past, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Uh, really, I think plays the balance really well between a trip character and a tall character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I would have liked to have seen I not him, of course, because that story ends, but. I don't know. It just it gives me like hope that that relationship would have really, really have given us a lot of interesting stories that we wouldn't have given us uh, in any other context, you know, because those two characters, especially initially, as you know, are so opposed or so, so on the opposite ends of the spectrum, like mm-hmm. and and it's the it's the Terrellium D that that changes all of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. I think we've covered all the key points here. I mean, this was a very specialized topic today. We were really talking about trillium D addiction and Paul. Uh, I, I like the points about the distinction between the very personal nature of the trillium D addiction for Paul as a character versus the Pinar syndrome being broader for Vulcan society. But in both cases, they are ways that the writers find ways to explore emotional turmoil within Vulcans and and try to make it make sense within the context of the show. Do, do you have any final thoughts on either of those and to Paul and the Trillium? Uh, nothing other than the fact that I, like I said, I don't, when I watch enterprise, I don't view to Paul as representative of all of Vulcans. Like we mm-hmm. deal with the Vulcans specifically in episodes, like we mentioned about the Pinar syndrome, um, or which was, uh, what was uh, stigma, right? Stigma was the big one. Stigma. Yeah. Um, and then, or, and then later on episodes with the, the specific Vulcan trilogy later on, like that's Vulcan to me, that's talking about Vulcans as a species, as a race. And it's interesting and it's great. But to Paul as a character is not representative of them, even from the very beginning, even from like season one, I just don't, she's kind of, placed separately in my mind and she has different issues to deal with than most regular Vulcans. So I'm okay with this addiction happening to her and not, isn't supposed to show us a way that Vulcans can be emotional. I don't know. I don't have a, I, I like what they do with the Vulcans in enterprise. And I know a lot of people don't, but it makes sense to me that species change after 200 years. That's yeah. just what happens. And so, you know, I, I'm glad that they did what they did. And like I said, I think that this is, is it's a part of enterprise that's maybe not talked about a lot, but I think it's very important and it changes how she interacts with all of the, you know, how she interacts with Archer and, and flocks and especially trip. So I, I think it's important. 
Yeah. I think it was good because one thing that Star Trek is designed to do and, and does well is to talk about our own world and how we deal with issues. And, you know, the reality is that uh, people get addicted to drugs or people get addicted to alcohol. It's a way of dealing with change. And to Paul, by having her be the lone Vulcan on this Earth ship, the first Warp 5 ship, and having to live in very close quarters with all of these humans for so long is extraordinarily stressful for her. And I think put in that situation, not on a ship with aliens, but just put into a very different environment, you know, maybe a different culture, for example, for someone. When it's that stressful for you, there's always the potential that you might turn to alcohol or drugs and as a way of coping. That's what people do. I mean, it happens. And showing how that affects one of our main characters is something that I'm I'm kind of surprised Star Trek didn't do it in the past in this way. But then again, you know, Star Trek in the 24th century, everyone has supposed to have gotten past all these vices. Although Janeway's addicted to coffee. She's got a caffeine addiction, which we didn't talk about today, but <laughs> we've seen that. I mean, Barclay's got a holodeck addiction and Jean-Luc is addicted to Earl Grey tea. But <laughs> you know, these are, these but you are know not what, hard things, you know. You know what I like? I, we didn't really talk too much about the actual addiction part of this. Uh, but what I kind of liked about this was when Flo- when Flox discovers this, he doesn't. It's clear he, he doesn't judge her. He's concerned about her mm. welfare, but it's 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 not it's not a direct correlation in the in the in the idea that she's all of a sudden stigmatized like stigma, right? She's not stigmatized by the crew. Not that anybody else finds out about it, but it's it's just interesting to me that. It's not even shown as a negative thing in the context of the story. It's just what happens. It's she's she she experienced some negative situation. She yeah. coped with it by doing this, and she had to, she suffered some very real consequences, and it changed her life fundamentally. But there's you can no, see the like, negative impact on her from it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But there's no but there's no like, you know, like if we talked about the TNG drug episode. There's none of that, like, this is, drugs are bad, okay? And you shouldn't right, be doing right. drugs, and, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, exactly. This is not a message of, like, look what's happening to her. Don't you do this. Yeah. It's, it's not that kind of message, like, which is what we would typically get in Star Trek. Uh, if, if we were going to have a, a show about drugs, it would be aliens who are addicted to the drugs, and our heroes would tell them why it's wrong and they shouldn't do it anymore. So if anybody's interested, they could watch the TNG episode Symbiosis, where Wesley literally asks the question, well, what's wrong with drugs? And Natasha Yar goes, dun, dun, it's, dun, dun. <laughs> it's so silly. Um, but this, 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 luckily, this handles it much more maturely and much yeah. more interestingly. You know, Interestingly, right. Yeah, because it's something that you can you kind of put yourself in her shoes. I mean, yeah. you don't have to have ever been addicted to drugs to put yourself in her shoes and say, well, you know, I can kind of see how that could happen. And Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. Well, thanks again for stopping by today, Daniel. Before you go, tell everyone about Earl Grey and what you guys are doing and where people can find you. Yeah, uh, I'm on Earl Grey every week with my co-hosts, uh, Darren and Philip, where we're always talking TNG and... Uh, either very soon or 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 right before this episode, uh, we'll be dropping our 47th episode. So that's a pretty landmark thing. Now that show's uh, going to be all about the number 47 in the next generation, right? 
It better be. Um, well, I won't. I won't give away in case this comes out first. But uh, there are at least forty-seven items in okay. the uh, episode. Okay, so, great, great. Uh, it is forty-seven themed. Um, so okay. you can check me out there. Uh, of course, Earl Grand Trek FM. And if if you just want to chat about uh, anything TNG or or even Enterprise or any of the Star Trek, I, I love all Star Trek. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, and that's at One Up Dan, and that is the number one, not the word. Excellent. All right, great. Well, thanks again for coming by today, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Well, that was an interesting discussion with Daniel about T'Pol and her drug addiction. Some interesting points there for me, a few things I hadn't thought of before, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. But it isn't the only thing that we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I'm just going to say this up front. I don't know if it's Koenig or Koenig. I've heard both. I'm going to go with Koenig, but if I'm wrong, just pretend I said Koenig the whole time. And I'll go with Koenig. All right. So our bases are covered. So we'll both, yes, one of us will be right. Earl Grey. They're like, we're supposed to be decommissioned, and Kirk's like, second star to the right. (laughs) And then, like, what happens after that moment? They're like, they just start like five minutes later. It's like, well, (laughs) I guess we do have to turn around. To the journey! To the journey is community, and that's what you find with Star Trek, and that's why we do what we do, and that's why we love it when you guys write us, find us on Twitter, and that's why we're all friends on Trek.fm, is because we have this sense of community, and that's what it brings. It's not just about a show, it's about each other. Warp 5. Archer's way is the right way. He Mm -hmm. brings the light. She Mm -hmm. walks into the light to talk to Archer because then she is enlightened because he is an enlightened man. Mm -hmm. She walks back into the darkness and retreats back into her world to pick up the slates and go teach the Mm -hmm. kids about the humans and the Skagarans and all that kind of stuff. Commentary, Trek stars. I think it would be fun in order for, in order to prove my point would be like to us, have us play a game of Monopoly and also two players entirely determined by randomness. Two fictional players would be Mike, Max, Blue, and Green. Continuing mission. When we made the audio drama, it was a fairly straightforward transition. Let's call the ship the Excelsior. Let's make it the fourth one to bear the name. Let's put it in the Delta Quadrant. But uh, now that we're there, um, I'm really happy with a lot of those things. Melodic Treks. Second marriage took place in August the 6th, 1963, to Camille J. Williams, a Las Vegas dancer. And they had two children. And yes, I know, he divorced and married in the same year. I ain't gonna go anywhere near that. You draw your own conclusions. Literary Treks. I think I posited the idea that Lal was kidnapped. And Margaret just said in her Margaret E. way, she just said, Moriarty. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find them everywhere you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to, and you'll find us there. And be sure to check out the Master Feed as well, because the Master Feed contains every episode of every show that we do, including some extra content that's not available in the individual show feeds. In fact, we have a commentary track for Star Trek 2009, by Mike from Commentary Trek Stars in there right now. And the only place you can get that is through the Master Feed. 
So go subscribe to that as well. And while you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, don't forget about our reviews promotion. There is one week to go. Every review that you leave of a Treka Film show will get you an entry and a drawing for some great prizes. These include a season of Star Trek on DVD or Blu-ray, some official starships from Japan, also some novels, and a collection of our original alien art badges. Plus, Alec Peters from Star Trek Axanar has donated a set of three beautiful embroidered patches for those who review the Axanar podcast. So be sure to review that. And again, you can do this on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can review each individual show that you listen to, as well as the master feed. Every review gets you an entry. And after you leave your reviews, be sure to go to trek.fm slash review and submit the form that you find there. You do need to do that to get your name in the drawing. Again, that's trek.fm slash review. And we look forward to hearing from you. And speaking of reviews, we've been getting quite a few as part of this promotion. And I read some to you last week. I would like to read a few more to you today and thank everyone for leaving those. The first one is from Sean Rock. That's S-H-A-W-N-R-O-C, who left his five stars, said, Great podcast for the serious Trek fan. Great discussion material. Hosts are funny. Short and sweet. Thank you so much for that, Sean. Also, Chappie5574 left us five stars and said, Rediscover Enterprise. On first run, I was not a big Enterprise fan, but Warp 5 has me doing an Enterprise rewatch, and I must say, it's not as bad as I remember. Thank you, Chris, for helping me rediscover Enterprise. Well, I'm glad I can do that, Chappie. Uh, I like your wording there. It's not as bad as I remember. I'm not sure if that is a glowing review of Enterprise or not, but... I understand what you mean. Many fans, I think, wrote Enterprise off early, never really gave it a chance. And the general fan consensus for so many years has been, Enterprise is terrible. So everyone just takes it as truth today when it really isn't the case. So I'm glad that you're finding the show again. Also a review from GrievousFan91, who left us five stars and said, A great podcast about a great series. For many years, I was a Star Trek fan who never gave Enterprise a chance. However, in the last few years, it has become my favorite Star Trek series. I searched iTunes for a show that would expand my Enterprise fandom, and Warp 5 provides that. This podcast provides great analysis on a variety of topics. I am listening from the beginning, and I have enjoyed every episode. A great podcast for every Enterprise fan. Thank you, GrievousFan91, for that. I'm glad you found us searching in iTunes. It's one of the reasons why we're encouraging people to leave reviews of the show and give us ratings because that helps us bubble up and makes it easier for fans like you to find a podcast about the show, about Enterprise. One more here from SciFiFan203, who left us five stars, said, Great podcast. Great podcast for a show that is underrated. Again, short and sweet. And then one last one for today. This is from A91R8H8, who left his five stars and said, Can't live without my Trek FM. I've been listening to some of Trek FM's podcasts since early last year. I listen to them while I'm driving on my way to and from school. I find myself so engrossed in the conversation, and I wish I was there. The people who work on this podcast are real Trekkies slash Trekkers too, making the conversation all that more interesting because of their extensive knowledge of Trek lore. So thanks so much for that review as well. Thank you everyone for reviewing the show. 
And for everyone who has yet to leave a review, head on over. The deadline for the promotion is August 17th at midnight Pacific time. That's a Sunday. So there's still time to get your reviews in and get your name in the drawing for those prizes. If you would like to leave some feedback on today's show, I would love to hear from you. There are many ways you can do that. You can go to our website at trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to me by email. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is trekfm. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash trekfm. We have a community on G+. We have forums at truck.afilm slash forums. And you can even send me a voicemail, which I would love. If you look in the sidebar on the show page, you will see the link for that. And you can also just go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm, and you'll have access to the same tool. And all you need is the mic on your webcam or your smartphone or your tablet, and you can record and you can upload the message to me right there. And I'd love to hear from you, and maybe we can use your voicemail on the show. If you'd like to find me personally, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. Feel free to hit me up there. And I have my website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of different shows. There's the Orb, Literary Treks, Matterstream, Continuing Mission, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel, which is our new show. And I also do the official Star Trek Axenar podcast which I co-host with Alec Peters. So check me out on those shows if you'd like to find out what else I'm talking about in the world of Star Trek. Before I let you go, I would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They are the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Choose any book you like absolutely free. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you'll get to keep that book. But if you love podcasts, I know you're going to love audiobooks. I've been an Audible customer myself for 14 years now no plans to stop anytime soon. I promise you, you're going to love the service, so go check them out. audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thanks again for listening today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the discussion, and join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode of Warp 5. Warp 5.